0: Well, well, we talked about, you know, our various origin stories and kind of what got us into podcasting. I guess that's a good place to start. I mean, this is, as I said to you before we hit record, um, I I took a break from podcasting for about a year. And, um, you know, I was producing episodes under the guise of a podcast called Give Yourself the Chat, which was really about this sort of management of our own self-talk, our own inner game, if you like, and very much positioned around leadership the application of stoicism which I know we've got a mutual interest in there but increasingly it was it was kind of talking about mental health more than anything else with all the people I was chatting to so ultra endurance athletes uh, senior c-suite executives all that there was a common theme about mental health but it it, last year it kind of coincided with me and my own struggles with mental health so I thought you know what I'm going to back away from this sort myself out and it's now feels like the right time to talk about my personal challenges and how I'm dealing with them. So I, I rebranded my podcast from Give Yourself the Chat to Black Dog Runner. Um, mm. And those those people that kind of listen to our shows will, may have come across the, the video. I, you know, I had a black dog. His name was depression. But I found that metaphor and I know you're into big into metaphors was really useful for me. And so linking my own struggles with mental health with something I'm really passionate about running led to Black Dog Runner. So I'm, I'm I'm delighted that this is the first time after a year's sort of hiatus that we're, we're chatting together. So I guess that's where I come into this. How, how, how about on your side of things?
1: I think it's great to hear that story. Um, for me, I um I got into running years ago. I used to be a, a pretty good cross-country runner back in my school days. Um, I haven't been able to run so much now. But in terms of podcasting, I, it was about a start of this year, really. And I was looking for I've loved stories. I've loved speaking to really interesting people and finding out how they've done things. And a friend of mine is Damien Hughes, and I saw his success with the uh, the High Performance podcast. And I thought, actually, you know what, I think I could. And it comes back to my purpose, Peter, which is to help people achieve more than they thought themselves capable of. And I thought, actually, you know, a podcast would be a great way to do that. I could reach more people and use other people's stories and their learnings to really amplify that and help with that that purpose. So that's really why I got into it and um you know I'm on the second season I'm definitely going to do a third I'm really enjoying it. So that brings it, it, It's podcast.
0: good fun isn't it? You get to chat to some great people. I mean I think what a lot of people don't see though is that the post production can get really quite time consuming whatever. So I guess you outsource a lot of that do you or do you kind of geek I out and do. It yourself?
1: I do because you know I had a My first, really, and only experience of poor mental health to date happened last year, about this this month, October, and I realised that I was just actually burning myself out despite everything I teach my clients. So I thought, hang on a minute, I need to get smarter and start outsourcing this. So I I outsourced mine to a brilliant lady called Charlotte, uh, and Charlotte Foster from Charlotte Foster Podcast Production, she's ex-BBC, so she does all my back-end stuff, and yeah, I just I just do the fun bit. She gets all the that's, all the stuff to
0: deal with. Well, I, I guess part of the realization is to understand what you're good at and actually had to yeah, pass it off to other people who equally are uh, good at. But that's their field, and I think that's the the, the secret there. It's it's funny. I, I mean, I was saying to you that I used to run a training consultancy like you do, mm. but now um, one of my clients basically invited me to go full time, and I'm really enjoying not have to worrying about doing my accounts or biz dev. I can just focus on what it is but but it was interesting part of my mental health challenge was I'm having all these coaching conversations with other people and and helping them why isn't that same stuff working for me why can't I sort of swallow my own medicine and 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 despite knowing all the things that I could or should or can be doing it still wasn't working and I just wonder what your kind of experience of that is it's one thing to know but mental health is a a very different thing to sort of do or 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 be what's your experience around that
1: i think you're right i think for me what i realized on reflection um after my episode last year which was an acute panic episode uh and we might talk about language you know so i didn't call that panic attack i refused to uh, and then the months of anxiety and, and anxiety episodes that happened um was that actually i realized i wasn't practicing what i preached mm. Um, and that was the issue. It's not that those things weren't working for me. It's that I wasn't doing them. I was so busy trying to build my business. And and actually, you know, I've got a, um, a stepdaughter that's been diagnosed with severe anxiety and depression. And we've supported her a lot through the last couple of years. And it was really reaching its peak um, before we were able to get confirmed diagnosis, and help and support. And anyone who knows who's got a, a loved one going through that. can be really challenging and you talked about the black dog video and his wife has done one hasn't she on what it's like to live with somebody with Mm. depression um so i think a lot of those things boiled up at the same time for me and i wasn't doing what i so that's my experience of it how is it with you
0: similar oh gosh i mean my daughter is also diagnosed with anxiety and and depression and she's had cbt and everything else and Gosh, you feel so helpless sometimes with somebody that you love mm. so dearly and wanting to help them, um, you know, and we have ups and downs with there. But and, and with me, it was like, OK. So it, 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 was, it was really interesting, actually. My, my wife really kind of spots it well. And those that are kind of our significant others often spot the signs before we do. And, and part of my process is being able to spot the signs in myself. Um, and, and one of the interesting things was, Helen you always used to say to me, look, you need to go for a run, because she realised that when I went for a run, I reset and, and, and everything was, was fine. Um, and it came to a real sort of uh, nadir, a real low point for me when I knew going for a run would sort me out, but I was sat at the breakfast table and I just ev- couldn't even be bothered to go and do the one thing intellectually I knew would work for me um so it's not as easy as, as knowing what you could or should be doing it is there's something else and for me it's quite a recent epiphany and hence the the rebranding of my podcast and that i've realized and i've come to accept that actually when i'm running that's my happy place and identifying yeah. as as a runner and identifying as somebody that it's okay to find joy in those kind of things that other people might think of a bit of a, a nutcase doing that to me has really helped because I used to see running as my reset button and so joy lived somewhere other than running Mm -hmm. and when I lacked joy running would be the switch to get it back on and I'd never really I'd always treated my mental health and happiness and joy as something separate to running for some reason but honestly it's been only in the last few months I've realized actually no that is where my happiness and fulfillment lies and it's just a shift in self-identity has really helped and and that might be something that we might want to unpack because i know you know i i don't know if it's a metaphor or anything else like this but certainly the avatar of just identifying with self i hey i'm a runner and that that makes me happy and it's okay to that because joy is found in lots of different places and mm-hmm. i always thought that joy was outside of those mechanisms it's actually it's that's at the heart of it does that make sense
1: to me? it it does make sense absolutely i think. And it's interesting. I use a theory sometimes with clients. So it's called IR theory. I don't know if you've heard it. No, no. So IR theory postulates that we've got I is our identity. It's who we are. It's our, it's our values, our beliefs, our character strengths, those things. And then we have the R, which is the roles that we play. So, you know, we are fathers, spouses, brothers, husbands, we're friends, we're colleagues, we're all these things. And often, and I think it's formed in childhood, we... Um, we assume that our success in the roles, you know, you're a good son, you're a good student, you're a good friend, you know, impacts on our identity. And actually there really needs to be a Chinese war. I think sometimes perhaps in poor mental health, maybe it's because we don't feel that we're being as successful in all these roles as we might be. And that starts to impact on our identity. And there really does need to be that Chinese war between who we are. You know, my success as a, as a friend or as a colleague, shouldn't impact on my identity who i am You know, i'm going to have good days and bad days in any of those roles but the, the more i can keep that chinese wall the more that it's not going to impact on me and maps my sense of well-being and who i am i don't know what your thoughts are on that and whether that resonates yeah it's with you.
0: Yeah, it's, it's an interesting because things do kind of you can't help almost um one area impacting the other but I think the awareness and the labeling I mean, I've just made a note of that I've never come across that but that's really useful I mean I think I found that labeling things is is a useful way to frame the the discussion or make sense of what's going on mm. um and yeah it's just for me it's um it, it, it was just really cool I thought you know I've been running all my life I turned 51 this year and I've been running since I can remember and I've been active and it's only 40 odd years down that that line that I've realized actually know that so it's one one it's okay to accept that that's where I'm happiest so other people find joy in watercolors or their family or work or whatever it might be and I'd never associated that strongly with that's where it is and that's okay it's extraordinary it takes us so long to get a glimpse of the bleeding obvious sometimes and and so things like labels or whatever often give us that glimpse into oh well, that's what's going on or now I know I can do something with that
1: yes and I think you're right. It is, it is funny, isn't it? How sometimes we just can't see the bleeding obvious in front of our noses. I remember back in the day when I you know, I was at boarding school and I was at the height of my running powers. And, and sometimes even on a Sunday, you know, I might have run two or three cross country training sessions that week, but I'd take myself off for a five mile run up the fell because like you said, it was my happy place, yeah. you know, and I just enjoyed being out there in, and I love running in the rain I don't get to do it now because my knees are shot, unfortunately, but, oh, no. um, uh, so yeah, it, it's realizing. And I think for me, when I got after last year, this year, I made a commitment to, and I rejoined the gym. Um, and I realized that actually I need to go to that gym because that is also where I'm happy, where I recharge and reset and, but it does, it gives me a lot of joy. Um, and we know all the health benefits of just even walking, being outside and walking, doing some exercise. We know it. You know, it's it's as helpful for treating mild to moderate depression as as medication.
0: Yeah, it's it's a very powerful tonic, isn't it? But I think what puts a lot of people off that side of being physically active is often the comparison with other people. It's like, well, you know, I've never been running, so well, okay, well, just go for a walk or something. Like that. But I think it's how do we make exercise, which we all know is a powerful medication in itself, how do we make it accessible? And I think breaking down lots of the, the the barriers to it. And that's why I love running so much, because actually everyone's probably got the wherewithal, just a pair of trainers and go out the door. Um, and you know yourself, the hardest thing is putting the trainers on in the first place. It's uh, I, I just, I'd, love to, I'd love to talk about your podcast, actually, because I, I noticed um, it's called the Mental Fitness Podcast, not the Mental yes. Health Podcast. So tell me about the distinction of mental fitness and that label, because I, I, I love that.
1: Yeah, thank you. And mental fitness for me, I've been working in the field of, uh, started out in mental toughness 10 years ago and resilience. That's where I decided to change. I found myself at 40, um, broke, uh, divorced, bereaved. My mum died uh, okay. and, and I broke from a divorce and then redundant, all in the same 18-month period. And that started a period of self-reflection, thinking about actually what do I want to do with my career for the next 20 years or whatever? Where do I want to go? And I wasn't happy in my career I as I we was really successful at it. So I ended up focusing on what I want to do, which was coaching and training. I started out very much on the mental toughness resilience. And then as I've added to that and evolved over my 10 years doing this, I've added mental health. That was triggered by some poor mental health experience by some people that were close to me. And so then wanting to know more and, and learn more about that and, and support people in that way. So then and then the mental fitness model really has evolved. Initially, it was around. A, combination, um, a Venn diagram of mental toughness, mental health, and emotional intelligence. And the mental mm. fitness was that bit in the middle where they all overlap. That's evolved now to a model where at the heart of it is our character strengths. And these are the 24 character strengths that we all have. And then that also includes in that you've got the mental toughness bit, you've got mental health, you've got energy management, which is around our four domains of energy. So you've got physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual. And then you've got the um the emotional intelligence bit as well. So that for me, that includes all our elements of our mental fitness. Um, mm. and that's where that's why I called it the mental fitness podcast rather than just mental health,
0: yeah, because it, so it that's the the sort of umbrella term that takes into all those different facets. It's amazing yes. how many different elements of that. Um, yeah, I, I, it's just I think it's just a really useful because I think often, there's still a stigma about mental health and talking about it and gosh, we've come a long way, haven't we, in the last five, yeah. 10 years or so, but actually talking about something in mental fitness is it, it, to me, that says that's something you can develop, you can work on. And and so much of, of my sort of self-help is, is working on self, you know, and, yes. and, and actually, you know, in the work I used to do with leaders and everything else, it was like, actually, if we can do all this work on being the best versions of ourselves, and actually all the other things follow. So, um, it is you know it's that it's kind of know thyself work on thyself and um, but I think that the, the label fitness is for me it associates something that you you can you can strengthen you you can take control of and I think that in itself is, is a useful label to have
1: I think so because for that reason I think it makes it more proactive doesn't it we mm. when, you know as human beings we know that one of our major triggers of anxiety excuse me is a feeling of lack of control so actually if f- mental fitness and looking at that and seeing how holistic it is across those domains puts us in control. There's always something you can be doing, even if you are suffering with depression or anxiety or another form of mental illness, there's always something proactive that can we can be doing. And I, I like that positive psychology angle on it, if you like, the, the feeling yeah. of empowerment and I can do something.
0: Yeah. I mean, we, we mentioned that, uh, you know, people sort of access to, um, getting into fitness or running or whatever and there's these barriers to entry because you know we compare ourselves with others I I personally found you know if you looked at from the outside of my life there's nothing all the indicators are up you know I've got a a marriage that's lasted 22 years I've got two beautiful children financially everything's okay I'm, I'm healthy what have I got to be sort of down or low mood or depressed about and it took me a while to figure out that that's the worst thing you can do is try and compare your situation and your mental state with, with other people. So I've got mm-hmm. friends from my military past who suffer from PTSD and everything else like this, and they describe some of the things and you think, wow. Um, but that's the wrong approach, isn't it? To compare because yes. all of us experience it in a very different way. And I think that's one of the things I'm keen to, to encourage is, is that let's not compare like with like, because each one of us comes with a very different set of circumstances. And 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 comparing your situation with others is not necessarily a healthy thing.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, I call it comparisonitis. We compare ourselves <laughs> against everybody on so many different things. And there's always going to be somebody who's taller or richer or better at something or whatever it is. Um, and it is, it's, it's unuseful. And that's why I like the mental health continuum model, because what it shows for me is that, you know, we all exist on that model. We're all somewhere on that continuum. And there's nothing black and white about mental health. It's all shades of gray. We all have had times when we're in that top right-hand corner where we're thriving. We don't have a diagnosed mental mm. issue and we're great. And we all experience times when we're down in the bottom right-hand corner and we might not have a diagnosed mental condition, but we're not in a great place. A bit of low mood's taken over. Maybe we're grieving. Maybe we've been made redundant. Maybe we've had a bit of a breakup, whatever it is. And then sometimes equally, there are people you might find yourself in the bottom left where you really are struggling with a bout of depression or anxiety. But there's always hope you can find your way back up to the right. But everybody, if you're alive, you're on that continuum. And I think, you know, paying yourself, like you said, is just is unhelpful.
0: Yeah, that's the useful thing you say that there's always hope that you can get back up to that quadrant, which is healthy places. My wife says to, to me and my daughter, so, so Helen's she's kind of manages us both. But you know, it will get better. You will get through this. And I think it's that that hope you have to cling on to, but it doesn't happen by accident. I think so much of what we're talking about here is that that sort of proactive um, right. sort of management of self, which again, can be a really hard thing to even notice or, or get yourself to do when you're in a kind of deep fog. So mm-hmm. um, it, there's a couple of things I'd love to talk to you about. Um, really? And um, it's your books. I mean, you've authored two books, haven't you? Um, mm-hmm. And I'm really fascinated by um, is it your, your the latest one with the is the um, sort of the the metaphors for yes. uh, mental mental toughness?
1: toughness. Yeah, mental yeah.
0: toughness. Yeah, uh, t- tell me about that because I, I, I love a metaphor. I, lo- I lo- and so I'm really interested in in how you got into that as a sort of um, a, a topic for a, a book and how it's going down with your your readership.
1: It was, it was a guy called Nick Owen. Really, I mean, we all love stories. We all know stories. You know, whether it's your favourite film, we've all grown up. It's one of the main modes of human connection and and communication is stories and then uh, a bit like you being obviously a a coach and trainer I'm always looking and reading other resources and I came across um, a couple of brilliant books by a guy called Nick Owen and they were all based around metaphors and and leadership metaphors and other things Uh, and just love them and then start to think about it through the lens of well actually hang on a minute are there some in there that might be very relevant for mental toughness what others are out there? So I started to compile some of those and think about them and maybe adapt and tweak a few and spoke to Nick about it. And he gave me some encouraging words. So I put them together in a short book and really wanted it to be very accessible, but I also Mm. wanted it to be accessible to younger children. I think we don't spend enough time with our kids, either at school or parents perhaps, um, working on their mindset and their and their, and their mental skills and showing them how to use their brain. So I wanted it to be accessible, so I decided on a collection of 20 short stories, I wanted to impart my sort of thoughts and takeaways on it to spark reflection, but then add in three or four questions for the reader to think about that would spark their introspection and reflection. So it's a book you can read cover to cover in about 40 minutes, The first chapter is just explaining what mental toughness is, the the four C's model. So people have got an understanding of it Mm. and then um, and then into the stories or it's the kind of thing that you dip in and out of. Um, So I know I've had some great feedback from people said, look, we've had some of the best conversations around a dinner table with the family, just reading a story out at night and then having a conversation around it um and yeah i
0: love yeah. that involving the family and the sort of you know mm. younger generation in, in it because i mean perhaps it's something we'll touch upon the impact that things like covid has had on on the younger generation so i'm in a house with two teenagers and
1: uh, mm.
0: uh, i'd love to explore that but if we just kind of back it up are, are, whose stories are these are there your own reflections or have you gone out and interviewed people
1: um so that some of these are well-known ones so some of them people might say oh i've heard that or i've come across that one so some of them are out in 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 across the world. Uh, maybe. Some of them I've taken the concept of and just tweaked and adapted it a little bit and just changed it. So there's one in there about a young girl who's got cancer. Um, I've modelled that on, on something, taken that from a different story, but I wanted to, to relate it just because I know uh, of, of some close you know, friends and family have got children who have had cancer and so on. So um, I, that's why I wanted to put that in there. Um, so yeah, so some of them people would recognise and others perhaps not so much.
0: Have you got a favourite?
1: I've got a favourite. I've got several um, because they all fit different models. The one I I do like is the one about Dean Jones, which is a true story about an Australian cricketer who found himself in a Test match playing in India in stifling heat. He had a, a case of the runs, and uh, he was on a fantastic score. But he was literally at lunch. He had to have his whites changed because he was sweating that much, and he was could barely stand up. So he went back out to the crease knocked up a few more, and then said to his captain, I can't carry on, at which point the captain was potentially quite cruel, depending on your frame of reference, and said, right, well, send someone in from Queensland, because that's what we need out here if you're going to quit. At which point that kind of remark stung him, and he went on and stayed in the crease despite all that and knocked up about 200 runs or something crazy. Um, And so on the one hand, you might see that, but it took him six months in hospital to recover. Really? took him six months. I don't think he was in the hospital for six months, but it took him six months mm. to physically recover from that. So on the one hand, you may say, oh, it's an amazing example of mental toughness. And it is, if you look at it through the lens of the macho image, you know, that kind of tough it out or the rest of it. But on the other hand, you might say, well, actually he was mentally sensitive because he didn't have the courage to stand up and go, I know what's right for me and this is not worth it. Because at the end of the day, it's just a game of cricket. Now mm. he chose, so ours isn't to judge whether he was right or wrong. But ours is to judge what, what is right for us in that scenario. Is it right to push on? Because that's what really means the most to us. And I'm willing to jeopardize my health or actually, and I think a lot of us fall into that in the Western world with life, or actually is the smart thing, the mentally tough thing to do, to go, I'm going to stop now because I am, you know, it's not worth my health. And it's just the game of cricket. So mm-hmm. I think it, it illustrates for me the both the spectrums of mental toughness and how high mental toughness isn't always a good thing. Does that no. make sense?
0: Yeah, it does. It does. And there's, I wonder if there's some things that you simply just can't tough out. I mean, I'll give you some context in this. So Mm. um, I'm tracking at the moment um, the world's longest foot race, which is going on at the moment. It's called the Self Transcendence uh, Foot Race, and it's 3,100 miles. And uh, this is, it gets even more extraordinary. It's conducted in New York City, and the runners run around a one block loop. Which is about a mile or so in Queens, uh, Jamaica, in in New York. So they're literally running around uh, a neighborhood block for three thousand wow. one hundred miles, and it take they have to average some like sixty miles a day, um, and they've got fifty two days in which to complete it. And they're on like week three at the moment, and mm-hmm. it's called self transcendence because it's um, it is linked with this sort of uh, guru guy who's not with us anymore uh, called Sri Moy. And, and he was very much about the, med- the spiritual side of meditation allied with um, the sense of uh, competitiveness in sport and how sport is a great sort of metaphor for meditation and self-transcendence and everything else like this. And, but it kind of blows your mind when you think about it. And I was watching a video of it recently because I'm massively into this kind of stuff as you imagine. And, and the comment that it pertains to our conversation was, is that mental toughness only gets you so far in an event like this. And, and it, it then becomes, how do you transcend the pain? How do you, and, and it's it boils down to, you know, don't run with your head, run with your heart. It's almost oh, like yes. submit to it. And so I thought I found that really interesting because the mind just will put all sorts of limitations or, or head junk in the way. And it's like, how do we abstract ourselves from what the mind is telling us and realizing, oh, actually, do you know what? Perhaps I am loved or I am worthy or whatever it might be. And so much of it is you're wrapped up. But, I mean, boy, I mean, if you never come across this race, it just blows your mind that people can even conceive of doing that. But when it's around a one block in New York, it's quite extraordinary. But I I thought it was really interesting. Mental toughness only gets you so far in some pursuits. And then it's really about how do you tap in what is beyond that that's a bit of it. i don't know where i'm going with that one but it's just an interesting comment i thought i think tackling some i think that it's
1: challenge. really helpful that because you know if i the mental toughness model that i use and there, there are others but this is the most widely and rigorously developed one over 30 odd years lots of different um researchers have put into this it's robustly um, been developed is the four c's model but i've always been triggered with the time which is why i created my mental fitness model at the heart of mental toughness there needed to be something else in the middle of that circle. So you've got the four C's, which are control, commitment, challenge, and confidence. But I think what you're talking about is for the heart of that, there needed to be values and purpose for me. Because without that, your mental toughness is in a vacuum almost. You've got to have, if you really want to push the limits, you've got to have a why. You know, Simon Sinek talks about a why. Viktor Frankl did. Nietzsche did. He said a man who has a why can put up with almost any how- so absolutely, I think the point you make is, is brilliant. You've got to have a why, something at the purpose that is the heart bit, because everything else is mental. But actually, as human beings, the mental takes us a long way, but the heart takes us over that finish line.
0: Well, that's it's really interesting. I hadn't actually identified with that sort of purpose, but you're absolutely right, because some other videos I watched recently about ultra runners giving their tips for newbies is... Um, Find an event that you really connect with that actually means something to you, because when it gets really tough, you'll find a way through that. But without that connection, without that sense of purpose or why you're doing something um it's fascinating and uh, so so when you're working with people then how much work do you do around that sort of finding sense of purpose because for a lot of people I, mean, I know Simon Sinek has brought this into more mainstream now but it's still seen as a well yeah it's a, don't have time for that fluffy stuff but it's so fundamental so how, how do you kind of push the the purpose agenda if you like
1: um yeah I push it a lot so you know a lot of the times we have a saying in coaching I'm sure you've you've heard this and agree with it that the, the problem the client brings you is never the problem. So they'll tell you it's a surface thing. I want to do this. But actually, when you start to unpick it, there's usually something deeper. And and again, if someone wants to change, they've got to be really clear about why do they want to change. Change without the why just doesn't happen. Mm. You know, It takes effort to change. It's difficult. It's hard. It's grunt work. So what's the, if you haven't tapped into that, uh, and yeah, I'd be surprised how many times when I'm working with clients and there's issues around confidence and other things, when we start to tap in and understand their values, their character strengths, and their why, then actually makes it so much, you know, they find the passion, they find the energy for it, and they're willing to change their mindset a bit. Mm. So I do, I do a lot around that and unpicking that. And I'd be amazed how many times it, it comes up and it's useful. Even, you know, I was working with a CFO recently who was saying that you know, he started to feel a lack of motivation and he couldn't understand a lack of energy and couldn't understand why. And, and when we started to unpick it, it's because his behaviors really were incongruent with his values. And I guess that uh, lockdown and everything else that's posed his peers of self-reflection for all of us um, had really triggered that inside of him. And, it, and that's how it was coming across was tiredness, apathy, lack of motivation, but didn't quite know why
0: i love that the, the, the problems they bring are, are never the real problems yeah, the surface the problem. stuff isn't it it's yeah. the finding the causation isn't it sorry
1: yeah another thing i had a chat with a um, a guy called peter uh, no not peter sorry phil jones on mm. my podcast a couple of issues ago phil is the chief executive of brother uk but what he was interested he mentioned he said look to me he said anthony if you've ever got great people in your team and suddenly you notice a dip in their performance unexplained dip in their performance just check it's not around a milestone birthday you know 30 40 50 so my experience of leading people for 20 odd years or whatever is that you tend to see a dip in their performance around that as they start to reflect on what's my life am i living with purpose is it what i want to be doing so values and purpose and unpicking those is so important
0: that's and, a really interesting, really interesting insight. Yeah. Just look for that. What's the tell? Is it? Mm-hmm. And Because uh, we do. I mean, you, you know, I'm, I'm guessing we're kind of a, of a similar age. I've kind of revealed mine. It's uh, you do yeah, go through those in
1: January. Yeah, so it's, fantastic.
0: A it's the new 40, you know, it's. Um...
1: Absolutely.
0: <laughs> but it's it's interesting. So my wife and I as I said we've been married a while. But my daughter's 19. She's year two at university. My son's at sixth form college now heading six to 17. You know, and we're in that phase of okay well we're both turned 50 and now this is a new transitional part of our life what do we want for this new phase of our life and and quite often i guess that could lead to oh god well what have you done up to now or, or we and and so that that would explain perhaps dips in performance or certainly inflection points for people to say okay well what's next and what what is what has been so yeah I'll look out for that I, I think that's a really good
1: it's out it's at a, the minute if you want to check it out phil Jones. Yeah. Um, but yeah really really useful really interesting and i think perhaps maybe you know I, i've been married I, i'm now about to get married in january as well four days before i'm 50 I, I remarried again um but you've been you know you managed to keep that up for 20 years which is brilliant but i think all marriages in you know, relationships we need to evolve and i think that sometimes a lot of the time people get to that point where their kids are moving out and they look up and go oh well, what is next i hadn't really mm-hmm. thought about it they could have lost their way a bit and so I think it's so important to have that time to think about it and chat as a couple and you know, chew the fat on it. Um, I think that really helps.
0: Yeah, no, definitely, definitely. We've kind of mentioned uh, pandemic a couple of times now. What, what's your? Do you, think we, do you think we've got a mental health sort of ticking time bomb there? You hear that said a bit, or do you think it's the other way? We've actually got a generation of resilient people now that's been developed through this.
1: Resilience is only forged through adversity, so you know you don't learn resilience in the classroom. I know I have workshops on it, but as I say, people, you're not going to walk out from here suddenly 50% more resilient, so you only um, develop resilience through adversity. That said, I think the pandemic has been the trigger for a lot of poor mental health. Um, you know, I've, I've seen it, I've seen the statistics on it, I've spoken to people about it, um, and working with people on it, I've seen it in my own kids. Um, you know, my son who's normally really jovial and up had a 10 day period where he was in really low mood and I thought well, I was getting quite worried that it might turn into, into depression and it didn't, but I was quite concerned. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've seen, I've seen children, I've seen adults regress as a result of it. So I think it has exacerbated, um, a lot of the things, uh, a lot of poor mental health that we see, um, for a number of reasons. You know, when we think about depression, I'm sure, have you read the book Lost Connections?
0: No, no, I haven't.
1: Oh, you might be interested in this. I think you'll like it. It's called Lost Connections by Johan Harry on the reasons we're depressed and how to find hope. And what he's identified, because he's a guardian journalist that's depressed, or has depression rather. And he's spent four years going around the world speaking with the top psychiatrists, psychologists, drug companies on it. And it's the disconnection from things that causes depression. Listen to this. Disconnection from meaningful work, a disconnection from other people. A disconnection from meaningful values and living them, a disconnection from dealing with childhood trauma, a disconnection from status and respect, a disconnection from the natural world and a disconnection from a hopeful or secure future. And when you think about how many of those we've been disconnected of yeah. in one shape or form in the pandemic, and it's no wonder that we're seeing people with low mood, anxiety and depression.
0: That's amazing. I made a note of that. But yeah, just the thinking about myself, you know, that disconnection with nature, disconnection with, you know, uh, an identity or, or whatever it might be. That's that's really powerful. It's uh, I, I've seen. Gosh, uh, so we, we've been to two weddings this this month, two joyful mm-hmm. occasions. But I got into a conversation last Saturday, at this the this second wedding with this, this lady who's got three kids, uh, all sort of teenage age. And we were talking about their experience in pandemic. And she said at one point, um, everyone in the house bar one of her teenage children had COVID. So they were all bedded down at the same time. I said, oh, gosh, that's what? awful. I said, yeah, so little, little Johnny um, had to look after us all and was making us breakfast and mopping our brow and all that kind of stuff. And I thought, that's brilliant. Turns out, though, that little Johnny now um, is suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder because now he can't sleep at night for fear that his family are going to die in their sleep because he witnessed them really ill and poorly. And it has created a problem of its own with this poor child that is now terrified that his family are going to die because of what he had to go through to look after them. So it's it's not as depressing as it might sound at a wedding, but it was just one of those kind of real kind of conversations where you just don't realize how these things will show up and the impact of, of what people have had to go through. And I was just absolutely astonished, but then it got me thinking, I wonder how many other stories are, are, are like that. And thankfully this, this child is responding well to therapy, but it, mm. it's not out of the woods yet. You know, it's, it's awful yeah. to think, isn't I, it?
1: I, it is awful to think. And I, you know, it's I'm doing a lot of work with St. John Ambulance at the minute actually, and we're working with their leadership team and all their people on, on conversations around mental health. And some of the things we talk about is the impact of young children. And as you said, civilian PTSD, most people think of it in, in terms of a military context, yeah. like your background, my brother's ex-military as well. He's a surgeon with tools in Iraq and Afghanistan. Um, but We tend to think about it in military circles, but actually civilian PTSD is just a bigger thing. And it has been caused by, like you said, either exp- having COVID yourself and being in hospital and worrying about, are you going to make it or not? Seeing people like that poor young Johnny, who's looking after his parents, um, exposure to so much negative news for so long, the isolation from friends and family and, and all those kind of things, all that thing together, fear about the security, financial security and redundancy and things, all those things together have created this perfect storm where we've seen really high levels of civilian PTSD. Yeah, um, yeah. And it's under underappreciated.
0: It, it is. It is. I guess we, we can timestamp this this conversation because at the moment that the, the, here in the UK in the world, it's just gone mental, hasn't it? So we've had Brexit. We've had mm. pandemic. Uh, we've had supply chain issues we're now going through what appears to be a fuel shortage but it's just a distribution shortage it seems like the world is going to hell in a handcart and so this is a really nice segue i think to our our joint love and admiration of stoicism as a philosophy because there's so much of that which we can't control uh, and so much of stoicism which i know is a lot of cbt is stemmed from sort of stoic practice and everything else like this this idea that we can only control what we can control. So kind of focusing on, on that is such a fundamentally simple premise. Um, but at the heart I, and I love that. So so how did you kind of get into the the, the philosophy? I guess it's a, a sort of natural thing that you found through the work that you're doing
1: or? Yes, I think it is. I started to read around a bit and then came across it. I've, you know, like lots of people, I've seen the memes on on social media, but I sort of got into it before that. And then I started to. Really look into it about six or seven years ago, and and then Ryan Holiday's done a huge amount to make it famous Mm. with his, you know, the Daily Stoic and um, and his books. But there are lots of other ones. I would say um, a guy called I think it's Donald Robertson has done a lot. But the other one I would say people start with is the Little Book of Stoicism by a guy called uh, something Salzberger. um, I think it is. Um, I shouldn't Jonas Salzberger. I shouldn't know I've been emailing him um <laughs> but he's got a really accessible book about stoicism and how it works and how to apply it and it goes much deeper than the kind of suck it up and get on with it view which I think a lot of people think stoicism is is about it's much more nuanced than that isn't it mm. and it's it's much more applicable in everyday life
0: yeah I and actually I've had, had the pleasure of interviewing Donald Robertson on uh, a how previous version of this podcast and uh, He's written a, a loads of fascinating books. but His latest is "How to Think Like a Roman Emperor," you know, the sort yes, of. Yes, I've the, seen the, the title. Stuff. Not
1: read the book
0: yet. Yeah, "Meditations" of Marcus Aurelius, and uh, yeah, Ryan Holiday has brought Stoicism into sort of the the, the mainstream. Mm. Um, and and it is interesting because people think of Stoicism. There's Stoicism, small s, and sm- Stoicism, big s. So small mm. s is stiff upper lip, Stoic, just kind of non-emotion. But actually, Stoicism, capital s, is the philosophy. Of you know yeah. wisdom and 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 courage and and all those sort of virtues and and there's yeah. so so much depth to it, but it's such a practical philosophy. Like and things like the Daily Stoic is a nice sort of accessible way of, of coming into it. So if anyone's listening to this hasn't come across yeah. it, then Ryan Holiday's Daily Stoic or the book you've just cited are really good lead-ins to that. That's for sure.
1: There's yeah. another one if you prefer videos. Um, I'm just going to quickly look it up on YouTube if I can. Um, it's by a guy called uh, Einzelganger, of all words. Um, but he's got a series of short videos. He's got his own uh, YouTube channel um, called Einzelganger. It's got nearly 100,000, no, 996,000 subscribers. And he does a lot of short videos that are uh, sort of cartoon, not in a funny way, but about stoicism. And they're absolutely brilliant. You know how to let go. He's got Buddhism in there as well, but a lot of ones about you know Marcus Aurelius, amor fati, which is the love of fate, as you'll know that, um, and you know keeping calm, Stoicism, how Epictetus keeps calm, just and a great way if you're more visually minded in a really accessible way to understand Stoicism, take the lessons from
0: it. Yeah. Yeah, there's some wonderful things. There. I mean, if you consider that Marcus Aurelius wrote Meditations as a, as a journal to self and then never mm-hmm. had any intention of it being published and it was written over 2000 years ago, you read it um, or people's interpretation you think, oh, my God, that's so applicable for now. Um, yeah. And that that's just the amazing, enduring thing about it. Um, I had I got a little bit giddy with excitement recently. So I was on a, a Stoicon conference for, uh, that was aimed at uh, people in the military. So I was asked to speak at that. On the back of the podcast with Donald Robertson, actually. So you never right. know where these podcasts kind of take, take you in you. terms of meeting people. And Ryan Holiday was um, was on the bill as well. And I was like, I'm such a Ryan Holiday fanboy. I was like, yes, I'm on the same bill. Anyway, so Ryan's publisher got in touch with all of us speakers saying as a thank you, he'd like to send us a copy of his his latest book. So Brilliant. fantastic. So it came through the other day. So it's his latest book, Courage is Calling. And, and I opened it up. Hoping that he would have put pen something Peter love you know lovey locks Ryan Holiday but there's there's no signature in it which I was a bit oh, deflated. By, but it's a very kind gesture that I've got my it hands. It is a on very his, kind uh,
1: gesture, isn't it? His, but yeah, um, they do yeah. say don't meet your idols. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, yes, don't meet your idols. It's um, oh, that's fantastic. Hey, well, what, what, what else? I mean, so you um, here's a question I wanted to ask you. So, um, three fifty nine is your consulting. What What's in the name? What's what's where did three fifty nine come from?
1: Given that my, so it's a nod to Roger Bannister, okay. breaking the four minute mile. And of course, what he did, he had to show huge levels of mental toughness. He came back from adversity. He had a poor showing in the Helsinki, Helsinki Olympics. Everybody was knocking him for his, his training methods and all the rest of it. He was being a junior doctor at the time, which is a, I've got a dad who's a junior doctor and a brother. Well, my dad isn't a junior doctor, but he was. Um, And they used to work 100 hour weeks back in those days. Mm. And he was training on top of that to go for this four minute mile record. So great example of mental toughness. Um, But of course, what he did was change the mindset to the whole world about what was possible in that time. You know, previously, people said, you'll die if you go under four minutes, you can't be done. And then of course, what we know is very quickly, lots of other people ran under four minutes. So he completely changed the mindset to the world about what's possible. And that's what I'm trying to do with my business is change people's mindsets about what they think they're capable of, and then help them go and do that. It's so an extraordinary
0: story, it, isn't it? And right. that once we see somebody else doing it, it gives us permission to know that it's possible. Yes. So we have to thank those pioneers that actually believe it's possible when everyone else doesn't to go ahead of us, but you see it everywhere. And, and sport is a great, great example of that. You know, um, was it Kipchoge with a sub two hour, um, mm. Marathon, okay, yes, he was paced on a white line and everything else like this. And people could say, well, there there were very sort of uh, experimental lab conditions, but it still had to have a human being covering that. So it's not going to be long before lots of people are doing so. One of my passions is Ironman triathlon, you know, and and the the top guys and girls are now breaking eight hours for phenomenal feats. And so, so what's going on there? I mean, what's your take on on why that is a phenomena or, or or happens?
1: I think it's that like you said it's the barriers we put up in our mind about what we can or can't do. And as uh, David Goggins um, talks about, um, I was on a, a podcast earlier on with a guy in New Zealand who deals with burnout uh, and the mental health impacts of that. Is a former policeman dealt with PTSD and big fan of David Goggins. I think he talks about that. You know, after your mind quits, your body's capable of something like sixty percent more, mm. um, and that's it. And actually, if we If we remove the mental boundaries, we are capable of so much, but we get this self-talk and so much of that starts inadvertently in our childhood because of the people around us, even family and friends that unwittingly transmit their negative beliefs or attitudes onto us. You know, I remember my mum was being one of the most um, mentally strong women I know and get out and do it. If you don't like it, change it or change your attitude to it. blah, blah blah. But she had, a bit of a mental blocker from being honest around money. And I remember one moment in a car journey where she said, you know, we'll never be rich in our family. And just the impact of that one cast away, cast off statement actually sat with me for a while so that when I became a business owner, that negative beliefs around things was actually holding me back. So I ended up having to go and get some of my own training and development to get rid of those negative beliefs around money that would allow me to start you know, running my business better.
0: So it, it just goes to show how influential people around us, p- particularly parents, can be. Mm. You know, they, they say are the, some of the five people you hang out the most. And I guess that that's a testament too. If everyone around you is saying you can't do it, Anthony, then then chances are you're not going to, unless you can see beyond that or start hanging out with a more empowering crowd. It's uh, yes, um, it is David, so true that. If David Goggins, he's a character, isn't he? Just he is a bit.
1: Yeah, he's got. <laughs> yeah. I think we've got a British David Goggins now. he's a guy called um, Zach Georges who went from being. Quite a tubby young lad to now the fittest man in the UK doing CrossFit stuff, which is one of my passions. Uh, and uh, yeah, he's similar to David Goggins' journey from being chunky chappy age teenage years to elite athlete. It's insane.
0: His story, his story though, is um, I, I don't know if you've met. Read was it can't can't hurt me or is it, I think I, I've not difficult.
1: read it, but I've seen it. But I've seen some. Well,
0: of yeah. If you read it, it's it's a whole litany of. Uh, failed yeah failed failure to prepare for all these things yeah I, I ended this 200 miler with you know without any food and training and no wonder i kind of fell over but i mean he's quite self deprecating interesting though i started reading his book and had to put it down after a while because i just couldn't get on with his writing style but the right. audible version is really good because it's narrated by somebody else and oh. then after each chapter David Goggins comes on and this it goes into like a podcast format and they talk about some of that that chapter and then it goes on to the narration and then a sort of, it's a really really accessible format because I just oh, found his cool. whole language is a bit too full on but True. actually when it's tempered with an interviewer came across really really well and he's I'll just have to check that coach. out
1: on Audible now I'm back out yeah. and I'm able to drive a bit more and have car time
0: yeah it's um so let, let's kind of round round things off how uh, uh, what um I, I like to leave on my podcast, no, no doubt you do as well, is some sort of practical things that people might consider, mm. uh, particularly around mental fitness or, or mental health that you would kind of share. What What would you share with with my audience, and and then hopefully I'll, I can think of something for yours, or well, I can go first as well. But what what, what should we leave people with in terms I think of
1: for my bit and for my sort of model, if you like, of mental fitness? I would say take some time to really explore, and if you need to work with somebody to do that, fine. Uh, actually often it's better if you do Um, take time to understand and explore what's your purpose and what are your values Mm. because when you do that our values and our purpose become our decision making framework and that helps us release us from a lot of the cognitive dissonance that we can feel when we've been living and behaving in a way that's not congruent with our values and that sets up a lot of poor mental health sometimes um, so I would say, yeah, definitely work on, on your purpose and don't expect to find it in, you know, a couple of weeks or a month or two. Sometimes it might take a period of reflection, uh, you know, for several months, thinking about it, writing it down, rewriting it, rewriting it again. Um, but, yeah, definitely do that.
0: Yeah. Brilliant. And that's that's fantastic. I think. It, what
1: about you for mine? For my list? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I um,
0: as you were talking, I was thinking, actually, a lot of how we help ourselves is is how we help each other. So. If you can start a conversation with somebody and just get talking about your own struggles, it creates a safe space for them to talk about it. And you help them, but you also help yourself because Mm -hmm. so much of this is about talking out loud and getting out of your own head, but deliberately checking in with somebody else and and being vulnerable enough to say, hey, look, I'm I'm struggling and helping them helps you. And I've always found that whenever i found myself forgetting that, that, that it's a, such a powerful reminder that just talking out loud and getting out of your head is is often the first step. Um, and the more you can do that and the more comfortable we are with that, the better we'll all be, I think.
1: Yeah, I think that is such great advice, absolutely. The more, we talked about labeling, early Leon didn't we quickly? I think once we label our emotions and get them out there and even write them down, but certainly talking about them is a great way, pent up emotions, are probably the biggest cause of anxiety and leading into depression, not getting it out there. That was my experience for me and I know it has been for others. So I think that's great advice. Yeah. Hey, this has been fun. It has been fun. I, I feel like we're kind of doing an injustice. Actually, I could go on talking about this for another couple of hours with you. I've really, really enjoyed <laughs> think, the conversation.
0: Well, me too. I think our listeners will be thankful that we keep it to kind of fairly short, short, long form. But um, it, it's been brilliant. and And I look forward to, kind of engaging in your content and i'm gonna go and buy the uh, the metaphors book because i think that's uh when you had me at you could read it in 40 minutes but take a lot away from it that was that was a clincher for me so thank you so much for your time with me yep.
1: likewise thank you for yours and uh, let me know your address and i'll send you a copy fantastic take care of yourself mate. you too <laughs>